Hello, and welcome to From Russia with News, a weekly news podcast brought to you by the Moscow Times. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Millions of citizens of Russia are united by the Olympic dream. I view the Russians as a far greater challenge that we have. President Putin, uh, he just said it's not Russia. A unique country, not bad, not bad at all. My name is Jonathan Brown, and I'm an editor in our newsroom here in Moscow. This week on the program, the clash of visions for the world between Russia and the United States is playing out in Venezuela. Russia has gone all in on Nicolas Maduro. But how far is Moscow willing to go to ensure its bet pays off? I do believe that the geopolitics often grab more of the headlines, um, whereas I think Russia's real interest is in its oil investments. We'll speak with Moscow Times columnist and head of the AKE political risk group, Maximilian Hess, about where the rift is headed. And later... It's Victory Day, so expect to see your social media feeds flooded with pictures of columns of infantry, tanks, and Russia's latest military hardware parading through Red Square. I'm really not sure that despite all of the efforts that the Kremlin has put in to tying Victory Day and World War II heroism to the present day and Russia's present day foreign policy expansion, I'm, I'm not sure that many Russians are buying into that. We'll speak with Washington Post bureau chief Anton Trajanovsky about why the Kremlin is obsessed with celebrating victory in World War II. First up, Russia and the United States have been locked in an escalating war of words over the fate of Nicolas Maduro, the embattled leader of Venezuela. The Russians deny that version of events. Meanwhile, U.S. National Security Advisor John Bolton saying Moscow is undermining American interests in Latin America. With the United States throwing its weight behind Juan Guaido, Russia is doubling down on Maduro in a rift which so far Russia seems to be winning out on, especially since the government fended off a coup attempt last week. Joining us on the line is Max Hess, a Moscow Times columnist and head of the AKE political risk group, to tell us more. Max, thanks very much for uh, taking the time to chat with us today. Thank you so much for having me. So Russia has invested millions of dollars in the Venezuelan oil industry. It has lucrative contracts with Caracas. Is the Kremlin's interest in propping up Maduro solely about recouping those investments? I certainly don't think it's solely about recouping those investments. However, I do believe that the geopolitics often grab more of the headlines, um, whereas I think Russia's real interest is in its oil investments. Russia and Venezuela, uh, Russia's relationship with Venezuela in its current guise began a little over 15 years ago when Igor Sechin, the present head of uh, Rasneft, the Russian state oil company, um, was appointed the head of the Russian-Venezuelan Intergovernmental Commission and began a major effort to deepen ties. Original trade largely came in the form of defense cooperation, but then quickly uh, shifted towards the oil industry. Sechin uh, began making some deals in Venezuela, uh, even before he was appointed CEO of Rasneft, when he was still um, just the chairman of the board and the parent company. Um, and then by the time he was, he was named CEO, he really began to make a major push into the oil industry. There have been a few investments from other Russian oil companies as well. Um, Gazpromneft among them. That relationship has perhaps been the most troubled with its investment of around a billion dollars getting caught up in a major corruption scam um, that even the Venezuelans have sort of had to, to address domestically. Uh, so there certainly have been a lot of issues. Rasneft, on the other hand, um, it's 
investments so far have largely remained free from the corruption. Uh, they motivate the Kremlin to continue financing Venezuela. We saw um, Rasneft also increase its investments in late 2016 in a very murky deal where they were given the rights to um, offshore gas reserves, although no work has been done on that uh, amid uh, the Venezuelan economic crisis. However, it's clear that Rasneft has that interest. I, I certainly think that Session is the most important player in the relationship, the driver of the financing, and that the oil is really Russia's key interest uh, and what it really wants to hold on to as events there unfold. Within the context of the of the of the, of the geo geopolitical rift between Russia and the United States, here is there any reason to to believe that this could escalate into um, a direct military conflict involving U.S. and Russian troops or even their proxies? Um, I suppose the question here is how far is Russia willing to go to 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 defend its geopolitical um, and uh, financial interests in in Venezuela? Certainly, uh, I think it would be difficult for Russia to send a large military contingent. Obviously. I think uh, they've been very clear in the sort of change in their messaging over the last few months. Russia had, from the beginning of, of the sort of current iteration of the crisis in January, uh, been, as I read it, sending signals that it was willing to be involved in some kind of talks, offering itself as a mediator. But as the U.S. has been riven by internal divisions over how to respond, Trump clearly willing to hold talks with the Russians, Bolton and some of his contingent, the national security advisor, John Bolton, um, being uh, you know very strong believers that uh, in the Monroe Doctrine, that only the U.S. should be allowed to intervene there, um, probably take a different tact. Meanwhile, Congress doesn't trust either um, Bolton and, and his group, nor Trump. So action has been kind of limited, which has allowed Russia to take some actions to send small amounts of troops. They sent about 100 soldiers in broad daylight around a month ago um, that you know they knew would be photographed and very clearly wanted that to leak to give that impression. I think that they were also happy with the reports that came out uh, in, in the last 10 days about Russia potentially being willing to send a ship via uh, Malta. All these are very low-cost steps, um, but that m raise the fear and disincentivize uh, the U.S. to take action. I do think it certainly is possible that the U.S. will intervene directly. Bolton has precedent for arguing for such. Um, uh, he's also a proponent of, of preemptive conflict in, in, in Iran. Uh, I certainly think that's a major concern. But also, if Russia doesn't intervene in that situation because the Venezuela issue doesn't have the same kind of domestic resonance that the conflict in Ukraine does, or even the conflict in Syria, uh, I don't think there would be significant costs to Russia not stepping in and taking that kind of action. So it, it's been able to sort of create the image that it's willing to present a deterrent um, when I'm not sure that it actually is willing to go that far. So Russia's foreign minister, Sergei Lavrov, is due to meet with his U.S. counterpart, Mike Pompeo, in Sochi next week. What can we expect from that meeting? Well, I certainly think that uh, Venezuela will perhaps be the main topic. Uh, Iran will certainly be a major topic as well, especially given the announcement uh, just today that Iran will now no longer be honoring certain parts of the uh, 2015 JCPOA, also known as the nuclear deal. Um, obviously, Trump pulled out uh, first over a year ago now. Um, and the Russians have, have been supportive of that deal, in fact, and, and are a party to it. Um, so those will be the two major issues. I think it's hard to see any real progress coming. Uh, Pompeo and, and much of the sort of 
Republican foreign policy establishment, including Trump's own appointees, uh, are, as I mentioned, more of a Monroe doctrine inclination, whereas Trump wants some kind of a grand bargain um, or at least is willing to have talks about something like that with Putin. The idea has been floated that Putin uh, and uh, through Lavrov in this case uh, could suggest some kind of recognition of a U.S. sphere of influence in Latin America in exchange for recognition by Washington of a Russian sphere of influence in Russia's near abroad, essentially Eastern Europe and Eurasia. Uh, I certainly don't think that um, the State Department itself, its bureaucracy, including Pompeo, uh, would be willing to go as far as that. And even if Trump may be willing to, that would cause a major rift within uh, the Republican foreign policy establishment. But at the same time, Russia is able to take advantage of these divides within U.S. foreign policy um, and decision-making there and allows it at relatively cheap cost to help back up the Maduro regime. Um, so I, I actually think Russia's playing for time there and knows that the longer Maduro holds on to power and Guaido effectively appears powerless, Guaido being the opposition leader uh, recognized as interim president by the United States, um, the longer that that drags on, the, the more it plays into um, the Maduro regime and therefore Moscow's hands. In the weeks ahead, in the months ahead, what is the best possible outcome for, for Russia here in, in Venezuela? What's the what's the end game? Well, I, uh, the best possible outcome would be some kind of managed transition to a regime that isn't hostile to the Russian government um, and which is willing to at least honor most of its investments and, and loans. Uh, Guaido and the opposition had, the, most members of, of it had previously made comments saying that they were willing to recognize Russia's interests. There have been one or two deputies who have made some more hostile comments. Um, there's one big argument uh, being pushed by some supporters of the opposition that uh, investments agreed after the National no Assembly was essentially defanged by Maduro um, in 2016 that uh, those investments shouldn't be honored. So I, I certainly think if Russia were also to get those investments honored, that would be the best outcome for it. Then a transition, which would see sanctions lifted, investment return, uh, help return Venezuela uh, back to its previous levels of oil production. Um, so I actually think the best scenario for Russia probably would be some kind of managed transition rather than Maduro holding on to power um, because it appears so unlikely that, you know, those sanctions would be lifted on him uh, anytime soon, that which would leave um, Venezuela's economy in a very fragile state and uh, also the political situation quite tenuous. Max, thanks very much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. Cheers. If you've been in Moscow this week, you'll likely have heard the deafening roar of military planes flying low over the Kremlin, or maybe you'll have seen a column of tanks plodding through the center of the city. Nope, Russia isn't preparing for an invasion, at least not yet. All this pomp and military hardware is actually the main attraction at annual celebrations on Thursday to mark the Soviet Union's victory over Nazi Germany in 1945. Joining us in the studio is Anton Trianovsky, the Washington Post bureau chief, to talk about why this historical event is such a big deal here. So, Anton, thanks very much for joining us in the studio. Thank you for having me. So, the million-dollar question here, I suppose, is why is Victory Day such a big deal in Russia? We're not seeing similar military parades in the UK or the US. I mean, the, the, the most obvious first answer is of 
the almost unfathomable scale of the Soviet losses in World War II. Um, you know, it was more than 20 million, close to 30 million people uh, from the Soviet Union died, uh, which is something like, you know, compared to 400-some thousand from the United States. So the loss, the scale of the loss was huge, and pretty much every Russian family uh, has uh, some, you know, family history of, of personal loss related to World War II, which is called the Great Patriotic War here. So that's the, that's the first answer. But, uh, you know, Victory Day has also become kind of the touchstone of this national Russian ideology that Vladimir Putin has tried to create or to foster. You know, Russia has has struggled with kind of a lack of a unifying national idea ever since the collapse of the Soviet Union. Mm. And we've seen more and more signs of the Kremlin trying to make the great victory over Nazism core to this Russian national identity. So when Russians come out to the streets uh, tomorrow, and we've seen polls suggesting that lots will, um, are they really there to sort of rejoice in Russia's military might? Or is this kind of just a fun day out for the family? It's, I mean, it is along with New Year's Eve, it's the biggest holiday on the Russian calendar. So it, in that sense, it's it's just a, it's a major, it's a major holiday. I mean, go ahead. No, I suppose yeah, the, yeah. the question is, to what yeah. extent are, are is sort of the everyday Russian really mm-hmm. buying into this sort of patriotic fervor? Sure. Well, I can tell you, I remember, so I was born in Moscow in 1985, and one of my very first childhood memories is 1989, uh, the military parade. It was, that was actually uh, the uh, October Revolution um, parade. And because May 9th, Victory Day, wasn't a regular parade in Moscow, actually, until the 1990s. Um, but, you know, I was I was a four-year-old boy, and it was, I think, my parents, my dad took me there because it was cool to see the uh, military equipment going by. Um, but at the same time, I also know from my family just how important, uh, you know, I remember my grandmother, for example, who, who, who was involved in the war effort. Um, it was just an incredibly important holiday uh, for the family, uh, for people to remember um, the losses uh, of the time. I would also say, though, I was I was struck uh, last May 9th was my first May 9th in Moscow as an adult, and it was striking how many intoxicated people were out on the streets, and it was also kind of this major picnic day along right. the banks of the Moscow River. So clearly it's some of both, and I mean, you can compare it to a little bit. I suppose, to Memorial Day or Fourth of July in the U.S. in that there is uh, some kind of patriotic significance to the holiday, but it's also just a holiday. But I would say in Russia, the meaning of that holiday is really does go very deep still. One big change this year from previous years is uh, the number of foreign dignitaries who will be present uh, at the parade on Red Square. We've seen the likes of George Bush uh, previously attend. Last year, two leaders, the leaders of Israel and Serbia attended, but this year there are no foreign dignitaries attending. What do you think we should be extrapolating from that? Um, I mean, we, we don't have to extrapolate too much, you know, because uh, kind of Kremlinology will only get you so far. But clearly, you know, first of all, 
clearly it is a big deal for um, Putin and the Russian state media apparatus whenever a major foreign leader comes to Moscow. Um, there's always a big hubbub about that in the, the Russian state media, and it's supposed to show the Russian public how Russia is not isolated on the world stage. And last year when Benjamin Netanyahu came, the prime minister of Israel, that was a big deal, you know, because he did show uh, his effort to really get closer to Putin amid the whole changing geopolitics of the Middle East. So it's, it is significant when people come. I mean, another, you know, another big example uh, I remember was when uh, uh, the 70th um, anniversary of the end of World War II in 2015. So that was a year after the start of the Ukraine crisis and kind of the depth of Russia's international isolation. Right. And uh, the big question was, what would Angela Merkel do? Hmm. Because in kind of in theory, the German chancellor just has to be there uh, to commemorate, you know, that seminal event in, in Europe's history. And Angela Merkel chose not to come to the parade because of the view that that would underpin the Putin propaganda effort. But she came the next day hmm. and uh, laid, you know, laid a wreath at the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier next to the Kremlin and met with Putin and did a joint press conference with him. So that was a, a really important example of the kind of balancing act, the political diplomatic balancing act around Victory Day. And the fact that no one is coming this year, you know, it does show that uh, the Kremlin still isn't able to bring anyone, anyone they want to, to Moscow. It's still a, a, a dip, uh, d- difficult balancing act. So at the same time as we're seeing Vladimir Putin sort of working to stir up patriotic and military sentiment, we've seen historical levels of discontent uh, in both his rule and his military campaigns abroad, particularly in Syria. Will Putin's efforts to sort of stir up um, patriotic sentiment be sufficient to solidifying his rule? I mean, you know, this really gets back to the to this first question of what is Victory Day all about and what is the meaning that Russians draw from their World War II past. So I think, you know, basically almost all Russians will buy into the idea that Victory Day is a tremendously important holiday, that there were untold an untold number of acts of true heroism by Russians and by Soviet citizens in World War II, and that even now, more than 70 years later, it's worth celebrating those acts of, of heroism and sacrifice. But as you point out, the, the current rulers of Russia are trying to take that further. They're trying to say, yeah, I mean, this is my reading of the state media and Putin's rhetoric, and I think it's probably this interpretation is broadly shared, that the, the, the story goes, look at all of our past heroism and our past achievements, and now uh, under Vladimir Putin, Russia is back as a kind of global superpower, and we can be a force for good, and look, we defeated ISIS in Syria, and now uh, maybe we will even uh, do something to stop American imperialism in Latin America. So that's the extrapolation that the Kremlin, I think, wants Russians to make. But you're right. I am really not sure that that uh, a lot of Russians buy into that. Uh, there is, uh, you know, when when you do talk to regular Russians, especially traveling outside of Moscow, uh, there's all these you constantly hear the question like, wh- why are we spending all this money on Eastern Ukraine, on Syria, now even on Venezuela, 
while we still have bad roads and bad hospitals and bad schools. Um, so I'm really not sure that despite all of the efforts that the Kremlin has put in to uh, tying Victory Day and World War II heroism to the present day and Russia's present day foreign policy expansion, um, I'm, I'm not sure that many Russians are buying into that. Some, some. I mean, I should say, obviously, some are, and the propaganda is very powerful, but uh, it's, it's not, it's by no means a, a sure thing. We'll leave it there for today, Anton. Thanks very much for joining us. Sure thing. Thanks for having me. And to finish off, what better way to celebrate a birthday than by cutting into a giant cake of Donald Trump? Well, that's if you're a journalist in Crimea. Kremlin-friendly TV reporters there recently celebrated 60 years of broadcasting on the peninsula, annexed by Russia in 2014, with a large cake baked as a bust of the U.S. president. And they appeared to take great relish in slicing and dicing the effigy. In the clip, you can hear Oleg Kruchkov, a journalist based in Simferopol, asking, who'd like a piece of Trump? Now, regardless of your views on the U.S. president, it is a bit morbid to watch a group of reporters cutting into his face. So there you go. If you have a birthday coming up and are into personalized cakes, there's one option for you. That's it for this week. Thanks for tuning in. And don't forget to rate the podcast on iTunes. It'll help other Russophiles find us. Head over to the Moscow Times website for more on Venezuela, Victory Day, and other oddities from across Russia. I'm Jonathan Brown. Our producer today was Pyotr Sauer, and thank you to CM Records Studios in Moscow for hosting the show. Join us next week on From Russia with News. (laughs) 